How does the old saying go? The devil is in the details. And it's amazing how much this series against the Stars is similar to what we saw last year against the Blues. We'll take a look at a few details in particular that are really bogging down the Wild in this postseason today on Locked on Wild. You're locked on Wild. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Wild. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Wild, your daily Minnesota Wild podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Wild your first listen each and every day. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any of our new videos throughout the rest of this postseason. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. You can download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off of your first purchase. On today's episode of Locked on Wild, we dive into a few key details that are destroying the Wild in this series against the Dallas Stars. We'll talk face-offs, we'll talk scoring first, and we'll talk about special teams as well. My name is Seth Topol, your daily Minnesota Wild insider, and I got to level with you. I am tired. I am tired of this series continuing to be a cheap knockoff of what we saw last year, where the Dallas Stars just throttle the Minnesota Wild in the special teams department, where the Wilds just have stretches of games where they look completely shell-shocked and incapable of competing against a team that they are very much even with in this series. I think the special teams numbers in and of themselves can just perfectly sum up how this series is going. So the Dallas Stars right now are 9 for 22 on the power play. 9 for 22. So the wild penalty kill is 13 for 22, which is 59%. If the wild are able to, let's say, do 10% better, which would be two more successful kills. 10%. That's not a huge ask. That's likely the difference between them being where they're at right now, which is being put into a situation where they have to win to keep their season going in Game 6 and then win again to win the series, as opposed to being up three games to two with two chances to close out the Dallas Stars, one of which is at home. It's two kills, and I can say that definitively because what happened in Game 4? a game in which the Dallas Stars only got two power play goals and an even-strength goal that was right after a power play. You take away one of those, and that is a game that maybe the Wild end up finding a way to win in overtime. Maybe they don't. Maybe they still end up losing. But that's how much the special teams battle has just taken hold in this series. And what were we told at the beginning of the year? 
I myself was one of the people that was saying it. Special teams is going to be different. It's going to be different this year. And in the regular season, it was. But we are right back to where we were in last year's postseason. The Wild just are not able to do even the base level from a penalty kill standpoint. We're not talking like top in the NHL in the postseason because ironically enough, there are two teams currently worse in penalty kill than the Wild. The Los Angeles Kings, who are at 50%, and the Vegas Golden Knights, who are at 42% on the penalty kill so far in their series against the Winnipeg Jets. Well, guess what? Vegas, while that number is very concerning, they are still battling it out with the Winnipeg Jets and still have a really good chance to win that series because the Winnipeg Jets are going to get opportunities, but Vegas has found ways to make it not be an absolute backbreaker against the Jets. And so we're not asking for top level. We're not asking for a perfect 22 of 22. We are asking for just bare minimum levels of competency on the penalty kill and still are not able to get that. And this is the Minnesota sports in the playoffs monster under the bed in a nutshell is that you have areas that these teams that get into the postseason are deficient at. And it just ends up every single year it ends up that those deficiencies, the Band-Aid is ripped off and they are repeatedly attacked over and over and over and over again by the opponent. Because that's what teams do in the postseason. They find whatever your weakness is, whatever it is, they find it and they beat it to death. And that's why we find ourselves watching this team on the wrong end despite being able to more than contend in five-on-five in this series more than able to contend in five-on-five. And let's not discount the effect that not having Jewel Erickson Eck has on that deficiency. Jewel Erickson Eck would make a difference, yes. That's that's not disputable. But is Jewel Erickson Eck worth 20 percentage points of penalty kill by himself? That, I I don't know the answer to that question. Because here's the other part of it. Is you can't just throw your arms up by not having a player like Jewel Erickson Eck on those units. You can't just throw your hands up and say, well, gee, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do because we don't have the ability to put Erickson Eck on those units. Other teams are missing players too. And unless you're going to just point to that once the series is done and say, 
you know, it was a tough break, but obviously that's a loss that we just could not overcome. You have to find ways to offset and overcome that type of situation, especially in the postseason, because it happens to everyone. Every team has injuries that happen before the postseason starts. You think Tampa Bay is is making excuses about the fact that they are down a couple of key defensemen in their series against the Toronto Maple Leafs? No, they're trying to figure out ways to stay in that series. And I think the thing that is most concerning about what we have seen is how similar those units look to where they've looked all season. It's different personnel doing the exact same thing, whereas what it should be is let's find a way to maximize the players that we have and try to put them in the best positions to succeed. Dallas's penalty kill is doing some pretty good things against the Minnesota Wild power play. The Wild power play is certainly giving them some favors, though, because that power play unit has once again gone into the perimeter passing mode of working along the perimeter, back out to the top of the zone, passing it left, back to the top, passing it right, back to the top. There just is is zero attempt to get a shot in on net and try to grab a rebound. And again, I understand that Jewel Erickson Eck is a huge part of the success for both units. But this just screams zero backup plan. Zero backup plan for this team. And it's not even a it's not even a this series problem. It was bad last year too. It was bad in the series against the Blues. It has there was that stretch down the stretch of the regular season last year where the Wild through the final 40 games of the season were like a 60% penalty kill team. And then that leaked into the postseason and all we were told in the offseason. And again, I'm guilty of this too. I said the same thing. It's going to be better. It's going to be different. That's what we were told. And here we are. Here we are one game away from basically copy and pasting the same paper from last year, just changing the font and changing the spacing so that the professor doesn't realize that it's basically the same content. And so leading off today's show... I am tired because how many more times is this script going to play out? At what point do we see, is it an alternate universe? How do I get there? At what point do we see this team rebound after a game four loss in which they came up a couple of opportunities short and go and take the fight to Dallas on the road and win that game? Is there a universe in which that happens? Because I got to tell you, it would be a lot more fun to be on that side of games as opposed to the side that we were on in game four. And that's not to say that there haven't been great games in this postseason. Game one, epic duel 
I was at game three at the XL Energy Center. Unbelievable atmosphere. It was amazing to see the team play the way that they did. But the rest of it, the game two loss, which just flipped on its head and was lopsided before you could even blink. The game four loss, which was a little bit more of a a tight, tense game that featured opportunities to do the thing that has proven true that we'll talk about next, the thing that has proven true most in this series, opportunities to do that and not being able to. And then the game five loss, which by and large was a no-show. I'm tired. It, it's, it's a story that we see year in and year out. I don't have to tell anybody listening who has watched this team fail to make it out of the first round in six consecutive postseason appearances, one game away from making it seven. I don't have to tell anybody. I don't have to tell any of the everydayers that listen to this show. I don't have to tell any of the people that have been following this team for 30 years, three years, because you've all seen it too. You have all seen this scenario play out time and time again. And so I ask, at what point does it not happen? At what point do we get the other side of the coin, the light at the end of the tunnel, the greener grass on the other side? At what point do we get that? Because it's one thing to disappoint in the postseason. But we're dealing with something cosmic with this state, I think. I'm more and more convinced every time it happens that we are dealing with something cosmic, something otherworldly that is impacting these teams. So we'll talk about that on today's show as well. But first, we'll hear a word from our sponsors before we discuss a couple of critical areas that the Wild have just flat out not been able to succeed at, which is face-offs and scoring first. But first, a word from our sponsor, which is game time. The most stressful part about being a sports fan is trying to find tickets the day of the event. Whether it be game six, whether it be the opening night of the season, if you want to go, you should be able to find the tickets even the day of, and game time is here to help you do just that. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You can get flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section, row and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. You can download the game time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKDOWNNHL for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Continuing today's episode of Locked on Wild, once again, thank you for making Locked on Wild your first listen each and every day. Every dayers, we will turn our attention towards game six for you uh, on tomorrow's show. 
So make sure that you tune in for that. We also have a special guest joining the show on Friday. So uh, make sure that you tune in throughout the rest of the week as we guide you through the rest of this opening round series. Whether it ends in a win or a loss, we'll have you covered here at Locked on Wild. So, it really, it's not, it's not a hard series to figure out. The devil's in the details. The team that scores first in this series has won every game. In fact, as Kevin Gorg alluded to in our postcast after game five, the team that scores first has won every game between these two teams this year. Every single game. It is a rule that has been tested without fail nine times so far this season. The Wild scored first in game one. They won in overtime. The Stars scored first in game two. They won. The Wild scored first in game three. Stars in game four. Stars in game five. It's, it's not some fluke thing every time it's happened. The team that scores first has won the game. Which makes game four and five most frustrating. Because you have in game four something like eight odd man rush opportunities. And most of them early on in that game. You have two breakaways. You have a handful of odd man rush opportunities. And you can't get any of them to go to take the early lead in that game. You can't get any of them to go. Credits, all credit in the world to Jake Ottinger, who has, over the last couple of games, really upped his play, something that good goalies do, has really upped his play as the intensity of the series has amped up. It's... It's something that you just have to do. And Sam Steele had the breakaway opportunity in Game 5 that he pushed wide of the net. Also had an opportunity to try to spring Gustav Nyquist for a breakaway later in the game. But the pass was too far away from Nyquist for him to be able to handle. You have to finish when you get those opportunities. The Dallas Stars are handing them to you on a silver platter. Game four, there were no fewer than 10 instances in which had the Wild been able to cleanly handle the puck and move it up the ice, that they would have had odd man or breakaway opportunities because that Dallas defense, that Dallas starting unit, the forward line and the defensemen were so swung over and playing so tight in the zone that there really was no line of defense other than Jake Ottinger. And yet the Wild were not able to score in any of them. If you have opportunities to manufacture goals, to take goals that otherwise would not have been presented to you, you have to capitalize. And so that'll be one of the things, moving on to game six, You have, to, you have to score first. You have to start hot and play like your season depends on it. The other part of this series that has become more and more of a problem is face-offs. Now, the overall face-off numbers are not 
Um, they're not terrible. Actually ended up doing the math as to how the uh, face-offs have gone. And I think the, as I pull it up, I think the actual number, here it is. The Dallas Stars have won 190 face-offs. They've lost 145. That's a 56.7% face-off percentage. So the Wilds are at 43.3. They've been on on the the wrong end of worse disparities in terms of face-offs. But the big one... Jamie Benn is just, he has just taken up residence in the face-off circle on special teams. He is 15-3 and three in the face-off circle on the power play. And for a penalty kill that already was struggling, Dallas has been able to seize that opportunity to create set plays off the face-off and just in general, hold the zone because of the Wilds' inability to win face-offs and clear the puck. And it's the same thing on the penalty kill. If you can win a face-off on the penalty kill, then you're able to pick the puck up and fire it down to the other side of the ice. The Wild have not been able to do that. On the power play, the Wild have not been able to win face-offs themselves, and so Dallas gets the puck first. They're able to send it down the length of the ice, And the inability to get plays set up and get into the offensive zone has been a major factor for this wild team. They just, they're they're not a power play unit as currently constructed that is able to enter the zone with ease. And the, the big part of it, the frustrating part of it is... It's a power play that has looked pretty similar pretty much all season. It, it's looked almost identical the way that it did at the beginning of the year to where it does now. you got the drop pass. That has evolved a little bit. But it's just such an easy telegraph. It, it's, it's one that is, from my vantage point, it's pretty easy for the Dallas Stars to know what's coming and to clog the middle of the ice, to prevent the Wild from gaining entry into the zone with ease. And that kind of brings me to my final point that I will finish today's episode with is the lack of adjustments. And that might be the most frustrating one as to what we've seen. Because again, this series is not hard. It's, it's not hard. It should not be as hard as it's being played out to be and so we'll finish by discussing the lack of adjustments on today's episode of locked on wild after this final segment of today's episode of locked on wild thank you as always for making locked on wild your first listen each and every day for the everydayers tomorrow we will dive back into some of the particulars from game five uh, from game six i should say sounds like we're going to get a line blend So we'll try to figure out what the line combinations will look like or should look like uh, for Game 6. 
So if you are one of the everydayers that listens to this show on a daily basis, you can tune in for that. Plus, again, I will tease special guest coming on Friday uh, on Friday's show to get us further ready for Game 6 of this series. Another thing that I don't have to... I don't have to point to too viciously because everybody sees it. That's that's the great thing I think about the sport of hockey is that you have a viewing audience that has a really good grasp of what's going on. And so I can point to stuff and a lot of people are able to say yes, that I I see that and I agree. I'm getting frustrated with the lack of adjustments. The only instance in which we have seen adjustments made in this series is when absolutely necessary. Let's think back to game three. Jewel Erickson Eck leaves the game 19 seconds in, and we see Dean Evason roll the lines. We see him put Kirill Kaprizov with everybody. He's double shifting. He's playing here and there. We're seeing different line combinations. He's pushing all the buttons. But that's because he had to. Game one, the lineup, save for when Ryan Hartman had to come out of the game due to injury, the lineup didn't change. Game two, same thing. Game four, the lineup from game three to game four, with the exception of Sam Steele in for Jewel Erickson Eck, the lineup did not change. Game five, Freddie Goudreau moved to second line center, Sam Steele to third line center. Beyond that, no changes. And that included Marcus Felino leaving the game early with that uh, game misconduct penalty. And yes, there was some line mixing after that, but again, it was when it was absolutely necessary. And we saw at the beginning of the series, John Merrill start opposite Brock Faber. Credit to the coaching staff for putting Brock Faber in at the beginning of the series as opposed to starting with a vet and moving Faber in so credit there, credit for that instance, and for starting Philip Gustafson in game one. But what did we see in game two? And again, I'm not even really that mad at the decision to start Marc-Andre Fleury in game two because the actual reasoning behind it, I don't have a problem with. You have a young goalie. In his first postseason action, he goes through a double overtime game. The chance of a letdown after that type of performance is pretty high. So you go to a guy who has been around forever. I don't know if starting Gustafson even would change the outcome of that game. It just seemed like the chance for a letdown after a huge, huge emotional lift from a double overtime win, it just seemed like the possibility for a letdown was pretty big in that game. So I don't know if Gustafson would have made a difference. So I'm I'm not even I'm not even as upset about that decision anymore as I was when it happened. But beyond that, I mean, 
we just continue to see, whether it be the line combinations, whether it be the special teams units, just continuing to run your head into the wall over and over and over again, expecting different results. It's the postseason. The fact that you had a formula that got you to this point is great. But it's the playoffs. It didn't stop Craig Berube last year. Being down two games to one. Again, two games to one in game four. Taking everything that had gotten them to that point and throwing it at a paper shredder and starting from scratch. That was in game four. The biggest adjustment the Wild made last year was starting Cam Talbot on Elimination Day. We've seen a couple of changes throughout this series so far, but again, the biggest instance in which we've seen lineup tweaks and changes made is when it's absolutely necessary. And if you wait that long in the postseason, your stay is going to be short. So... All in all, I go back to the overall just theme that I have been wrestling with ever since the game last night. I sat and stared at my computer for four hours, just doing nothing, trying to figure out, just trying to ride the wave between angry and disappointed and... It just continues to happen, and we we caught the top of the wave here for this with anger, but it just, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's not a hard formula to win this series, and yet we are seeing everything that you can't do be what dominates the series, and that's a problem. So, game six is the only one that matters right now. You have to win game six to keep going. And so we will start to turn our attention towards, and again, you know what you need to do. You know what you need to do to win game six. So how about this time we do it? And that will end today's episode of Locked on Wild. Uh, so again, thank you for being one of the everyday listeners. And if you are not, uh, if you are finding our show for the first time, welcome. Make sure to take the opportunity to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast platforms so that you don't miss out on any of our new episodes throughout the week as we gear up for Game 6. We'll navigate you through the rest of this series and beyond with new episodes every Monday through Friday as part of the Locked On Podcast Network.